the ministry and workings of the Holy Spirit in the world. Next on Grow in Grace. Conviction, not condemnation, that's something different, is a blessing from God. That's what he's saying here. Conviction leads us to repentance. When I blow it, I don't like the feeling of guilt that conviction brings to me, but I do like the feeling of relief when I say, Lord, forgive me, I was wrong. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place God will dwell with man. Sit be healed and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. We're thankful to the Lord for this half hour together with you. This is Grow in Grace, and we'll hear from Pastor Ed Ray shortly. Again, we're in the Gospel of John. Now, just before his crucifixion, Jesus spent some time with his disciples. Interesting to notice that he spent a great deal of time talking about the Holy Spirit to them. Well, today we'll see what he had to say about the ministry the Spirit has in the world and his desire to convict the world of sin righteousness and judgment. We join Pastor Ed now in John 16. He says to them, there are some things that he has been telling them as they were ministering together over the last three and a half years and evidently that evening. These things we know because it's recorded by an eyewitness. John himself was there. So number one, Jesus told them about his soon coming death. He's going to die. And he told them in advance. Number two, he taught them about humility, forgiveness, and service by washing the feet of his own apostles. He told them that one of them was about to betray him. And that's happened already. Why is he telling them prophecies about things that are going to happen? So that they would have faith and trust in him. It's really the story of the whole Bible. God gives us things that are going to happen before they happen so that when they happen, we can look at it and go, oh, you knew that all the time, Lord. Jesus is coming. He's going to be born in a little tiny village called Bethlehem. And when he came, that's exactly where he was born. And when he came into the city of Jerusalem, he's going to be supposed to be riding on a donkey, and that's exactly how he came into Jerusalem. And then he was going to be crucified on a cross, and that he would be between criminals. And then he would be buried in a borrowed grave. And all these prophecies, more than 300 of them concerning just the Messiah, are there to encourage you and me. God knows about our life, too, before it happens. Before it happens. The Bible is the only book ever done on the planet that you can go back and check and see that things that were prophesied before they happen, happen. Now, somebody challenged me the other day, well, how can you say that? You're just saying that because you know how they happen. No, no, no. We have the Dead Sea Scrolls. We have the Dead Sea Scrolls that has all the prophecies in it about Jesus, and it's dated from 200 B.C., before the Messiah was born. Uh-oh. There goes an island that a lot of atheists are standing on. It's sinking. It happened in 1946, and they just found some more. 
in the last two months. So the Bible is about prophecy. All these things, he told them that they had to be connected to him. Number seven, the vine, abide. Number eight, he told them that they would not have any spiritual lasting fruit. Your life won't last, he's saying, without their lives. Connected to him, they'd be meaningless. You want significance? Connect yourself to Jesus. He told them to love one another. How's that going for you on the freeway? Number 10, he told them he wanted them to have joy. The only way to have real joy was to stay connected to him. 11, that if they would do all these things, love him, love one another, love those whom they were telling about Jesus, that the world would still hate them. (laughs) That's an interesting way to try and recruit people. But that's what he's telling them because he wants them to know before it happens. That's not be made to stumble. Interesting Greek word, scandalizo. And it's where we get our English word to be scandalized. But a little more precisely, it's actually the place where a trap is set and the trigger of it, like if you're trying to catch mice or something and you put cheese on the little trigger, that's the scandalizo. So Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be caught off guard. I told you all these things so they wouldn't throw you off your path. He wasn't trying to keep secrets. He was telling the straight stuff before it happened. He's not leading them along blinding. You know, it's not like the cruise you get on and it's five days when it's really three and they count the first day and all that stuff. He's doing this because his disciples had unrealistic expectations. Actually, we've all gone through that. They thought that if they were honest, simple, straightforward, then the world would respect them. (laughs) No. Unrealistic expectations. Much of our life is learning to have realistic expectations about life. A young man was talking to me just recently. He went through a a lot of problems. He's going through a lot of stuff, single guy. And at the end of it, he said, you know, I think I just need a wife and then everything would be okay. And not long after that, a young lady from the University of Redlands came in, went through her list of problems. She said, you know, I I think I just need a husband. Then everything would be okay. (laughs) And I said to both of them at different times the same thing. Okay, let's see. You take one sinner and you put him with another sinner under the same roof. And then the sinnerets start coming. How's that working? It doesn't take away problems. In case you're sitting here in love and going, oh yeah, but he's gonna solve all my problems. He's so wonderful. I don't wanna burst any balloons, so we'll just stop there. But let me tell you, this is not heaven. Have you noticed? This is earth. (laughs) Earth is a lost world, but it's not a forsaken world. God has not forsaken this world. He sent his son to redeem this world. I didn't come to the world to condemn the world, he said, but that through me, you might have life. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. So when you're getting discouraged because you've been watching TV news too much, (laughs) remember, earth is lost, but not forsaken. And you're part of the solution. Verse 2. They will put you out of the... Throw you out of church. Huh. Yes, the time is coming. 
Whoever kills you, that can't be good. Whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. He's doing God a favor by killing you. We have a, at least one person in our church who grew up in an Orthodox Jewish home. And when he became a Christian here several years ago, his family had a funeral for him. And they haven't talked to him, talked to him since in more than five years. He's dead to them. And they think that they're doing it for God. You will be of the opinion, literally, that he's bringing worship to God. He thinks Paul the Apostle was once Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And you remember, he was running around killing Christians, persecuting the church, Philippians 3.6. He's killing Christians, and he thought God was so excited for him <laughs> until God knocked him off his high horse on the way to Damascus. As long as Jesus has been with his disciples, the full force of opposition particularly from the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem, have been directed at Jesus. But now, because he's going, it's going to come at these 11 guys, and he's preparing them. Verse 3, all these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. You see, it's not just knowing about him. The most outspoken group on the Temple Mount against Jesus were the Pharisees. They're Name means those that are separated to God. They thought they were the most holy. They were the most religious. But they knew all about God. They memorized the first five books of the Bible. But they didn't know God when he was standing in front of them. When he was doing miracles like raising a dead man who had been in a grave for four days and smelled like bad Lemberger cheese or worse. It's a lot worse. <laughs> I worked in a hospital lab for a long time. It's a lot worse than Lemberger cheese. Lazarus, come forth. <laughs> Dead man walks out. Now, that may not have impressed you, but that village where he was buried that was called Bethany then, you go to Israel today, right now, this morning, it's called El Lazarim. It's no longer called Bethany. The village of Lazarus because God came and raised a dead man so that we might know that God's going to raise us too. So, sincerity isn't a measure of truth because it's possible to be sincerely wrong. But these things, verse 4, I've told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. It's going to happen in the future. Be ready for them. When they hate you, look back and say, oh yeah, that's what Jesus said would happen. Count the cost now, because it will be expensive later. That's not a real great brochure to put out, you know, if he's trying to recruit people. Verse 5, now, I'm, go away to him. Him? God the Father, who sent me. None of you asked, where are you going? How come you're not asking me, he's saying. Now, Thomas before said, we don't know where you're going, Lord. But he didn't actually come out and say, but where are you? And now Jesus said, I'm going. And he said, you should ask me. But because I've said these things for you, sorrow has filled your heart. You misunderstand. I'm going to die. And you think it's a terrible thing. A lot of people feel that way about death. Even when it happens to a Christian. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't mourn a loved one whom you were married to or whatever else, child or whatever. 
But if they know Jesus, then you've got to have another way of looking at it that says, I shouldn't be crying for them. I should be crying for me. I'm still here. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, verse 7. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Greek word is parakletos, the comforter comes. The helper won't come unless I go away. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. I'm not sure about the word comforter. As a brand new Christian, I thought, well, that sounds good. It's kind of like your blanket, thumb in your mouth. Of course, I wouldn't do that, but some of you did it when you were little. But I was in England years ago with Ray Lynn, and I went into uh, this gigantic cathedral, Westminster. And you walk up to the front, and there's this gigantic tapestry. It's like a picture, but it's woven. And it's King James, you know, the guy, King James version of the Bible. 1611. And so it's a picture of him, and he's in a full armor suit. He's got a sword, and the sword he's sticking in the small of the back of an enemy of his. And the name of the tapestry is King James the Comforter. So Jesus is saying something to you and I. He sure spoke to me. I've experienced that comforter several times in life. Okay, Lord, I'll go. A.W. Tozer speaking about the Holy Spirit, the Comforter said, spell this out in capital letters if you're taking notes. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is not enthusiasm. He is not courage. He is not energy. He is not the personification of all good qualities like Jack Frost is the personification of cold weather. Actually, the Holy Spirit is not the personification of anything. He has individuality. He is one being and not another. He has will and intelligence. He has hearing, he has knowledge, he has sympathy, and the ability to love and to see and to think. He can hear, speak, desire, grieve, and rejoice. Scripture tells us he is a person. And he's here speaking to you. You're listening to Pastor Ed Ray on Grow in Grace. And we're at the midway point of today's study based in John 16. Here's Pastor Ed with more. Verse 8. And when he has come, he will convict the world of three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, that sounds scary. Don't be afraid of it. It's really cool. In fact, they're blessings. Convict the world of sin. Now, the word convict literally means to cross-examine like in a court of law. Like if you gave your testimony, and then the other lawyer comes up to cross-examine you, to question you, to try and figure out what's really going on. So to convince a person of the weakness of his or her case is the little meaning of that word. Conviction, not condemnation, that's something different, is a blessing from God. That's what he's saying here. Conviction leads us to repentance. When I blow it, I don't like the feeling of guilt that conviction brings to me. But I do like the feeling of relief when I say, Lord, forgive me, I was wrong. You were right. And that's the blessing of conviction. God's kindness leads us to repentance. It's a wonderful gift of his. That was Romans 2.4. Secondly, he will convict the world of righteousness. Now, this is not 
your righteousness or mine. We don't have any. He's talking about the righteousness of Jesus, the rightness of Jesus. So he's going to convict the world that Jesus is perfect. This is the only place in the gospel where this word appears. And it only applies to Jesus Christ, which is good news for you and I. We're not beating ourselves up because we blew it again. None of us have any righteousness of our own. Nobody in heaven got there because they deserved it, of their own righteousness. Only God is righteous. So, convicted of righteousness simply means that we come to the conviction that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. God the Son, the Holy One, God Almighty, without sin, perfect love. He will also convict the world, thirdly, of judgment. He brings a person to the conviction, the convincing them, that there is a day of judgment coming for all. When we come to that realization that we'll stand before God, all of us, for the things that we've done or not done, it's very sobering. But we believe there are two judgments, because Scripture teaches that. 1 Corinthians 13 says that there is a judgment seat for Christians, for believers, people who have thrown themselves on the mercy of God here. And it's actually called the Bema judgment seat. Step up because it's a place of rewards being given. And then there's a second judgment seat for those who have refused the gift of life from God called the great white throne judgment. And there it says the books are open and no one, no one is found not guilty. So there's only two choices. Either I throw myself on Jesus Christ and what he did for me that he died on a cross for my sins, or I try and make it on my own. <laughs> oh, that doesn't work real good. I was reading this week about a troop carrier on its way to Normandy, Second World War, and they're going to storm the beaches of Dover. And they had a new second lieutenant, a chaplain, who was on his first assignment right out of seminary. And he had a, it was a Sunday morning, so he had a Sunday morning service, and all the young 18, 19-year-old guys are there. They're going to, a lot of them, die on the beach. And so he gave a message as they all crowded around, a very liberal sermon that was against literally the Bible, that it could be taken literally. And it upset all these young guys, and one of them, they made the leader, and he came up and with them crowded around this chaplain. And he said, sir, do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in hell and judgment? <laughs> and he answered, of course not. Those are old-fashioned ideas no longer believed by theologians. Then he said, respectfully, sir, if there's no hell, we do not need you. But if there is a hell, you will be of absolutely no help to us. Absolutely right. So, verse 9, of sin, going to convict us of sin, because they don't believe in me. We have this wonderful gift of conviction so we can confess and be forgiven. Of righteousness, verse 10, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. God's standard of righteousness, God himself, Jesus. And then 11, judgment. I'll take that blessing. Because the rule of this world is judged. So, these things, Jesus is leaving. Who's coming? The Holy Spirit. But I don't understand the Trinity. That's okay. Verse 12, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. You won't understand them. However, he, the Holy Spirit, when he's come, he'll guide you into all truth. 
For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he utters, he'll speak. He'll tell you things to come. He's going to give you information. Now, that's why you often hear me pray before we start looking at these verses. And I'll say that, Holy Spirit, come and teach us. Because he is the teacher. He will glorify me, verse 14. And he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Hidden values. He displays these things that were hidden to us. Last verse. All things that God, the Father, has are mine. Therefore I say that he will take all mine and declare to you the Holy Spirit. Very staggering statement. The Father's glory, his fullness, his weight is the same as Jesus, who is the same as the Holy Spirit's power for you in your life. Thanks for joining us for Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We're going through the Gospel of John together from start to finish. For a CD copy of today's message, just call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Or you can listen online at thepackinghouse.org. You'll find an archive of past radio programs there too which comes in handy should you miss a message on the radio. Go to thepackinghouse.org and look for our radio page. You know, it takes a team to bring Grow and Grace to you, and we look to our listeners to help make all of this possible. We have an exciting resource to tell you about. It's True Spirituality by Francis Schaeffer. After serving the Lord as a pastor for many years, Francis began to wonder if Christianity really made a difference in people's lives. True spirituality, you could say, is the result of his effort to re-examine his faith. And if you want to discover what true spirituality looks like in everyday life, this is the book for you. We'll send you a copy when you support Grow in Grace today with a gift of any amount. And as you give, you'll be helping many others around the country and around the world to grow in grace as well. Just give us a call, 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And we want to hear from you, even if you're not in a position to be able to give, whether it's a word of encouragement, a comment related to the study, a question or a prayer request. Email us today at packinghouseradio at aol.com. Next time on Grow in Grace. George Whitfield was a evangelist way, way back in the colonial days in our country. He was actually a Brit, came to the East Coast and preached up and down the East Coast many times to Native American. But he was very gifted. And then he'd go back to England for a year or two, and then he'd come back again. He went back and forth. But his brother was an atheist, and his brother had never heard him preach and avoided him. But one Sunday morning, some friends who knew Whitfield's brother invited them to a meeting. He said, what kind of meeting? He said, oh, you'll like it. It'll be a lot of fun. It was a church meeting, and they came in, and they sat in the back. And the brother didn't get it until the speaker stood up. It was his own brother. He'd never heard him speak before. And he was sitting there listening, and it came under heavy conviction, that gift from the Holy Spirit. And he got up and he ran out the door. Everybody turned around and slammed. And he went down the street to a restaurant, and some of his friends were there. They invited him to come in and sit down. He sat down. He was 
really under it. And a woman, Lady Huffington, who was a famous Christian at that time, she said, Mr. Whitfield, you look really down. What's wrong? And he said, I am a lost man. She said, what did you say, Mr. Whitfield? Say that again. He said, Madame, I am a lost man. And she said, well, I'm glad to hear that. He said, Madame, how could you possibly say you're glad that I'm a lost man? And she said, well, I'm very glad of it because it's written, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he broke into tears and she knelt down with him in the restaurant and led him to Christ. Now, that's wonderful. Wait for the end of the story. And so he, they met for an hour. She gave him a Bible. He was all excited. He got up, walked out the door, grabbed his chest and fell over dead from an apparent heart attack. You say, Pastor, it's a good thing. What do you mean good? God killed him. No, no, no. Jesus knew he was going to die that day, and he set him up to go to church so that he would hear the message, so that he would confess his sins, so that he would be in heaven. We hope you can join us back here next time as Pastor Ed Ray opens John 16 for a lesson on love here on Grow in Grace. This program is presented by the Packing House Christian Fellowship of Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place got to dwell with man. Sit be healed and the crippled stand singing Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, Let this world know me by your.